The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Solnier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show, EDU edition for this week. Um, This week is a continuation on last week's show where we were kind of going through together in a... uh, I'll call it a quiz or testing simulation where Jim was asking me uh, a bunch of questions that he faced in his latest, um, although not real recent at this point, Ed Slot training program that uh, were a whole bunch of questions that were mainly orbiting around uh, Secure 2.0. And we've got, uh, we made about halfway through, so hopefully we'll be able to get through the rest of the questions today. And uh, in order to help that happen, I guess we can jump right into them here pretty quickly, Jim. Yeah, we should. We have 11 more to go through. I ruled out two questions, folks. There's 10 total. Uh, I ruled out two or three. I forget how many, just because they would not have played well over the podcast without visualization. So those questions got ruled out. Then there's ones from last week. I have 11 more right now. And let's see if we can get through all 11. That way we can wrap this show up. I don't want to rush through. I do want to add a little bit of thought and background to them, but we'll try to move at a steady clip. So I will try to keep Chris focused, on task, pithy, to the point, don't ramble on and on and on. I don't know if that's possible, but I'm going to try my hardest. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So without further ado, let's jump right into the first question. This, again, is the Ed Slot Spring exam, which yours truly just took a couple weeks ago. So I'm not the best student, I will admit. Uh, Ed tests us twice a year and just wants to make sure we understand concepts that he reviewed. The uh, main spring course, or class, if you will, was Secure, Secure 2 specifically. So many, not all, but many of these questions have to do with the SECURE Act. And we will be doing our Ed Slot training in another, about another month. I think it's the first week for third and fourth, I believe, of November. But it is remote. It's over Zoom. Uh, it's his last one. He said he's not going to do any more remote. Uh, he wants us to do them in person. But it works out good for me because I will be in Ohio at that time. So it's going to be very easy for me to do it remotely. I can uh, just log in and do it remotely. So we will have another test uh, at some point over the next six months when yours truly sits down, takes it, and then asks Chris the questions. But Chris, you're doing well. You only got one wrong so far. I think uh, so. Are you sure? I, I think it's one. I, think I, I, I write two. I write yes and no. Yeah. There was one that had nothing written next to it, so maybe that uh, one was yeah. supposed I think, to be I think no. I did miss two up until this point. So. Okay. Well, I know you got one wrong for sure. Yeah. All righty. First question. Which of the following is true about SEP and simple Roth IRA contributions under secure Two, if offered by the employer, all employees are required 
to have their SEP or simple contributions treated as a Roth. Secure 2 is clear that Roth or simple SEP contribution, yeah, Roth SEP or simple Roth employer contributions made for a prior year will be taxed to employees in that year. SEP and simple Roth IRA contributions are technically available in 2023, or all of those are true. This is, a t- again, a question that doesn't play well over a podcast. <laughs> but a SEP and simple, just so people understand, are retirement accounts for very small employers. A SEP is really for one person, and it's someone who is a self-employed individual. In fact, I used to uh, nickname it self-employed pension. Um, Actually, at this point, Chris, I don't even know what SEP stands for. I call it self-employed pension so often. But um, it's really designed for one person. A simple plan, generally a company up to 100, and um, a simple is supposed to be easier to set up. Uh, than a 401k, allegedly. But in the industry, we jokingly say simple plans or anything but. Nonetheless, both of these operate very, very similar to a 401k. In the case of a SEP, it's just an IRA on steroids. If you want the honest truth, it's a SEP IRA. Uh, I call it an IRA on steroids, but it's only available to self-employed people. Did you ever find out what SEP stands for? Yeah, I knew it already. It was Simplified Employee Pension. I was just waiting for an opening to... Ah. To, yeah, I, yeah I, so that's what's so weird about it. It's, it's uh, SEP is Simplified Employee Pension, and then there's the Simple Plan, which sounds kind of like Simplified, but Simple, of course, stands for Savings Incentive Match Plan for Employees, so the S-I-M-P-L-E, so yeah. The Department of Acronyms worked well on that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyways, that's what these accounts are, and Secure did change and essentially began offering Roth options. Prior to Secure 2, if you had a SEP or a SIMPLE, you could not have a Roth. And Congress said, well, that's wrong. Let's allow SEPs and SIMPLEs to have Roths. But it can get very confusing because even though these accounts are similar to 401ks and traditional IRAs, they have a lot of differences in them. So again, do you do you want me to review the questions one more time, or did you pick which one you? Well, I want you to read the second one again because you kind of like reworded stuff on the fly, and then I kind of lost track gotcha. of that okay. one. So. so the first one to resummarize, I won't read okay. the whole answer. Was okay. simply saying, all employees are required to have their catch up, con- their excuse me, their contributions treated as Roth. So the first thing, Ed is asking, out of these, which is true? First one, you must put your money into the Roth option now in these accounts. That's essentially what Ed was saying in the first answer. Second answer, the one Chris wanted me to repeat. Under Secure 2, it's clear that any Roth contributions to a SEP or a SIMPLE by the employer Remember, folks, this is no different. The employee puts money in and the employer puts money in. Even in the case of a SEP, which is one person, a self-employed person, the employer them puts money in and the employee them puts money in. One is written off on their business taxes. The other is a deduction on their personal taxes. But there is an employee and an employer they just, the same person, we're in two different hats. So question number two was, the employer contributions made for a prior year will be taxed to employees in that prior year. And this means you have until your tax filing deadline, April 15th, unlike a 401k, you have until April 15th to put money in for the previous year. So if money is put into the Roth option by the employer for the employee for the previous year, 
Essentially, when will those be taxed? That's what Ed is trying to say. Contributions, let's say right now, folks, it is 2023. Let's say an employer, and it's January of 2023. The employer is putting money into the simple or the SEP in January, even though it's 2023, and saying this is for 2022. So Ed is saying they will be taxed to the employees in that prior year. The question says, Secure Act 2 is clear that Roth, SEP or simple employer contributions made for a prior year will be taxed to employees in that prior year. Third answer was SEP and simple Roth IRA contributions are technically available in 2023. And number four is all three of those are right. No, only C is correct. You are correct. So you can give yourself the little even though you used ding, about five hundred words to describe. <laughs> this B, was not. I asked you just course. to reread B. <laughs> well, I'm trying to explain it for <laughs> listeners who are not nearly as astute as you are, Mister Stein. And I'm trying to get people to understand what the question was. Oh, I get it. I do want to call out one other thing. I'm happy I got this one right, but you kind of are implying that SEP plans are only for self-employed, and that's not true. Very rarely do you see them for employees because whatever percentage of your pay you put in, and you can put in up to 20 or 25 percent, you, have to, up to, 25, you yeah. have to do the same match for your employees. And few people are that generous. Right. But it, it is technically available beyond just self-employed. But, but yes, a lot of us, because they're so common with self-employed businesses that – the SEP kind of becomes self-employed pension, right? It's, it doesn't mean that, but I just wanted to make sure people understood you technically don't have to be self-employed for there to, do, to exist a SEP plan. It can be really any size business. And SAR SEPs, salary reduction mm-hmm. SEPs, mm-hmm. don't even exist anymore. So yeah. I may have even misspoke when I said the employee you gets a deduction. The, the, the employee you can't put salary into a SEP anymore. It's all from the employer. SAR SEPs were where you allowed to actually put uh, a contribution in, salary reduction contribution. Now it's all employer contributions. So just put that. We don't do SEPs enough in the office for me to say I'm an expert in them. Yeah. But as I'm sitting here and you're talking, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's just Sarseps. the employer. Yeah, it's just the Sarseps employer on the set. are, are, yeah. are mm-hmm. gone now. Dead. Yeah. Okay, anyways, we trying to be pithy, and that one went on forever. Okay. But that one did not play well uh, online. So hopefully right. this next one will. We'll knock this one out quick. So question two. Which of the following is true about delayed requirement required minimum distributions in Secure Act 2? So which one is true? True. Secure Act 2 delays the age for RMDs to age 73, beginning in 2023. Secure has no effect on the minimum age for QCDs, or Qualified Charitable Distributions. Secure Act 2 impacts the required minimum distribution Beginning date and D, all of the above are true. Which one is true? Uh, without having you reread it and keeping this tight, I think all of the above are true. Yes, all of the above is true. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to go into it or probably not? But uh, everybody knows 73, 73 yeah. is the new age, so that mm-hmm. part is true. It has no effect on QCDs. That is true. QCDs, mm-hmm. even with Secure 1, stayed at 70 and a half. So if you are 70 and a half, you can start donating your money from your IRA tax-free to directly to a charity. You don't have to wait to uh, 73 and under the old rules, 70 and a half was when RMDs began. This is going back pre-Secure 1. So anyways, that was it. A Secure Act impacts the required minimum distribution, required beginning date. And D, all of the above are true. So fairly straightforward. Okay, 
Number three, which of the following is false regarding the 529 to Roth IRA rollovers? So one of these four is false. Or other words, not true. Number one, there is no time limit or deadline to complete the rollover process. Number two, the maximum amount that can be rolled over from the 529 to the Roth is 35000 Number three, income limits can reduce the amount of funds that can be rolled over to a Roth IRA in a given year. And number four, annual rollovers are limited to the annual Roth IRA contribution limit. One of those four true-sounding statements is actually a sheep in wolf's clothing. And it is wrong. And see if Chris can figure it out. Can you read the first one again? There is no time limit or deadline to complete the rollover process. I think the right answer, which is the single wrong answer (laughs) statement, is C. Which one is C? Income limits could reduce the amount. That is correct. Another one is right. You are just nailing these. Well, I've read a little bit about this. I can (laughs) see. This topic of (laughs) retirement planning and IRAs. Although I have not, let me state again, which I stated last week, but not this week. I have not gone through the Ed Slot training program that Jim did before taking the quiz himself. Just putting that out there. Are you saying you are smarter than me? No, I'm saying that I'm at a distinct disadvantage because I didn't. It's like me taking a test for a class I didn't take. Well, I, I think you're doing pretty damn good, if that's what you're trying to say. I'm, I still don't feel real good about it, but it's it's going pretty well so far. <laughs> you're doing you're doing okay. All righty. Okay, question four. Oh, you'll you'll hmm. I actually got this one wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that helps me by knowing that. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Goodness. What is the maximum? And no Googling this because I didn't Google. I'm you can't Google. I'm not Googling anything. Lift your bulbous butt off the chair and put your two hands under it and sit back down. No okay. Googling on this one. Bulbous? Yeah, isn't that a word? Bulbous? Oh, that's, yeah. It means big and round? Oh, I know what it means. <laughs> What is the maximum amount that can be taken as a qualified disaster distribution under Secure 2? This is one of those bizarre things that you're never going to come across. And if you did, you're going to have to Google it or research it because it's a pointless bit of information to ever memorize. Mm -hmm. But Secure 2 allows people in a qualified disaster area, and it has to be declared the disaster. It just can't be, oh, we had a hailstorm. I'm taking money out of my my account. Um, It allows you to take money out uh, without the 10% early withdrawal penalty. How much under Secure 2 can be taken out in a qualified disaster distribution? 12,000? 22,000, 100,000, or 200,000? Um, so you brought this wrong because you guessed, and now I'm going to guess, and maybe I guess better. <laughs> I totally guessed on it. <laughs> 100,000. That's what I chose. <gasps> because 200,000 just seemed way too much. Yeah, I know. They're not going to allow that. And even under COVID, under the, the what was that COVID... Uh, distribution you could do. I can't even remember the acronym anymore on that. It was a hundred thousand bucks. I thought twelve and twenty-two. You suffer a massive catastrophic loss of property. What the hell is twelve or twenty-two thousand dollars going to do for you? So I figured it was a hundred k. No, know so what it I. is? Huh? Twelve. Twenty-two. Okay, I I got it wrong twice. <laughs> So I I just rationally sat there and tried to figure it out. One thing I can say, especially if you're a younger advisor, all jokes aside, don't worry anymore about remembering these dollar amounts. It's totally pointless. This question was as pointless as as the day is long, if that's a saying. I'm not sure. 
It just is pointless. What does it prove? It proves you memorized a number? Who cares? Ask us something more about what type of disaster qualifies or what are the mitigating factors to qualify or how do you pay the money back or can the money be paid back? These types of more operational questions, but the dollar amounts, especially on catch-up limits and beginning next year when somebody 60, 61, 62, and 63 can put in 150% more than someone not that age and who cares about the dollar amounts? You can Google them so easily. So if you are younger and just starting out, don't concentrate on remembering simple numbers like that. I can't even tell you what the tax bracket numbers are anymore, the catch-up contributions, the limits, because I will literally Google that in a second, find it, and move on. And my brain doesn't have to remember that stuff, and it allows me to try to remember what I think are more poignant and important strategies or concepts. And that's really how do all these rules work to help people retire? Any strategies that we can find out of these? Any things that we can do? So anyways, that's my thought. Do you ask stupid little questions like that to your students? What is the 2023 catch-up contribution limit for someone over 50? I mean, seriously? Well, some of the core stuff, yes, still comes up because that is an indicator that they've at least paid attention and are taking this seriously. Then why don't you the ask... The minutia of the, you know, the, the qualified disaster distribution question, that's getting off into the weeds enough where I, I probably would not ask that personally, no. I mean, I would find if you wanted to test someone's ability to understand that, I would ask what age can catch-up contributions be made rather than the dollar amount? Yeah, that's a good question, too. Okay, question five. We're flying through these. Mm -hmm. When is the... Okay, this one. Uh Uh-oh. Nobody listening to this, if you listened to... Was it last week's show or the week before? I forget now. It's all a blur. But the show where I went on, the woman who, remember, had a trust and a non-human beneficiary, non-designated beneficiary question, and I said, it's called that non-human, and Mm -hmm. I answered that question. Mm -hmm. This is related to that show. So Mm. if you paid attention, everyone should get this right, including you. Mm. You're you're asking if I paid attention to our own show? That's right. Mm. Yeah. But I'm seriously, I answered... I might be found out on this. <laughs> oh, I answered this question. Was that in last week's Q&A or the, the week before? I think it was last week. Okay, all very, the better. So it was only a few days mm-hmm. ago that it came I out. So. Everyone should get this question right. When is the only time the five-year rule applies to an IRA beneficiary? The five-year rule is still alive and kicking. Barely. But it's still alive and kicking. The five-year rule used to say, more broadly than it does now, uh, the IRA has to be closed within year five of death. No money has to come out in year one through four unless you want to. In year five, the entire IRA has to be closed. In fact, for years, Chris and I were saying the five-year rule is going to come back. The stretch is going to go the way of the dodo bird. And we were right. And the thing that surprised us was... The 10-year rule, which they just pulled out of thin air. But the five-year rule is still here. So when is the only time the five-year rule applies? Here are your four answers. Number one, when the beneficiary is a non-eligible designated beneficiary. Again, I will pause real quickly. Wherever you see the words eligible designated beneficiary, substitute what, Chris? Eligible human. Human. Don't even... Just human. We, oh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are right. I am right. <laughs> Wherever you see the word <laughs> designated beneficiary, substitute those two words, which got like a lot of letters, and just one word, human, because that's what they're saying, human. So when the beneficiary is a non-eligible human... And the owner died before the requ- their required beginning date. When the beneficiary is a non-human and the owner died before their required beginning date. When the beneficiary is a non-human 
and the owner died after their required beginning date, or when the beneficiary is a non-eligible human and the owner died after their required beginning date. Mm-hmm. Now, you twisted it up on me because my brain still thinks as designated beneficiary rather than human. So you saying human actually messed me up. Oh, did it? But B is the right answer. But I had to think long and hard because you were saying human over and over again. Well, I figured I'd make it easier for people. So B is in boy. Chris is right. This, again, is, is a hard thing to play out without you being able to read the question over and over and over again. But essentially, let's look at the right answer because this is exactly what we talked about on last week's Q&A show. When the beneficiary of the IRA is a non-designated beneficiary or non-human. And remember, this woman named a trust. And we were given an example of if the trust did not qualify to be beneficiary. It didn't have the correct language in it. So it was ruled an ineligible beneficiary or an ineligible trust. So it's a non-human at that point. It's a trust that's not a human. So the answer is when the beneficiary is a non-human and the owner died before their required beginning date. The required beginning date is April 1st of the year following the year their required minimum distributions must begin. Currently, that's age 73. But the way the government keeps changing this all the time, who knows what it'll be in the future. But if you are a non-human, a tree, a dog, an estate, a trust that does not qualify to be a see-through trust, therefore it cannot qualify as a legitimate beneficiary of an IRA. All of these are non-humans. When a non-human inherits an IRA and the IRA owner died before April 1st of the year following the year they were supposed to have begun required minimum distributions, then the five-year rule applies. If the person died after the IRA owner died after their required beginning date, and a non-human inherits the account, then the ghost life expectancy takes over. And we spoke about that on last week's show. So I told you you would get that one, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. There is no reason anyone listening to this show should get this next one wrong, especially if you listen to Chris's favorite series on Culex. A qualified longevity annuity contract or Culex must have their payments begin by what age? Mm. 85, 75, 73, or any age you want. This one is really straightforward. Anybody who's listened to any of our comments on QLAX probably would get this one, and it is 85. Absolutely, folks. So a QLAC is a special type of deferred income annuity. It's an annuitized annuity, meaning what, Chris? Meaning you've given up the access to that money and will receive an income stream in the future. Um it is now the assets of the insurance company itself and no longer for lump sum withdrawal. Right. So it's an irrevocable decision where you give money and you are promised to get income in return. What makes a QLAC special, folks, it's a deferred income annuity that can be held inside an IRA. In fact, you can only buy QLACs inside IRAs. Outside of an IRA, you would buy a deferred income annuity. You don't have to buy a QLAC. The reason the government actually created QLACs, they they promulgated the rules for QLACs in 2010, and the first one came out, I think, in 2015. It took like five years for the government and the industry to get them down pat. The government addressed this specifically because of the 2008 market, massive, massive market correction. They wanted to give people who had IRAs the option 
to pass longevity risk, the risk that they live a long time and outlive their money or live a long time and can no longer manage their money. They wanted to pass that risk and allow individuals to risk pool it by utilizing an annuity, which simply spreads the risk amongst thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different annuity owners. They call that the annuity pool. And it allows you to kind of benefit uh, like a zebra herds and fish school. You can say retirees Kulak. And they can benefit from... Did you just make Kulak a verb? (laughs) (laughs) Retirees Kulak. (laughs) Kulaking. These retirees are Kulaking. But what it is is risk pooling. And the name says it all, longevity. What makes them unique is it's an IRA that has no RMDs until age 85, when the distribution from that QLAC will begin. Unique is Section 204 in Secure 2. Now I'm going down a rabbit hole here. But everybody knows, because we've gotten a dozen or so questions on this, Section 204 says an IRA that has been annuitized. Now, they don't call out QLACs specifically, but a QLAC is an IRA that has been annuitized. But Section 204 says an annuity inside an IRA or inside a 401k obviously pays more than a typical RMD distribution significantly more. Why? Risk pooling. Again, schools fish, zebras herd, retirees kulak. That risk pooling, there's a lot of people, a lot of fish, a lot of zebras, and, and unfortunately people, zebras and fish all die. As people in the kulak pool die, their money goes to other people who are living. That's called a mortality credit. Because of mortality credits, your distributions from a QLAC can be significantly greater than the actual RMD would have been. There's now a provision that will allow you to take that excess RMD from the QLAC, which is essentially all the the mortality credits. There's a boatload of mortality credits in QLACs, especially if you wait to 85 to turn the QLAC on. Allegedly, you're going to be able to use those excess to say, hey, apply them to my other IRA over here. And if you don't need to take the money out, you can leave it in. Now, the the nuances, the, the issue, the problem is in the details. Congress never told the IRS how to figure out the present value of the future income stream. So we're waiting for guidance from the IRS. We're waiting for guidance on if annuity contracts purchased pre-secure will apply or even post-secure but pre-2024 when the rule takes effect, will those apply? There is so much unknown. I really think the IRS is going to come out and delay the implementation of this. So nobody knows how it's going to work. But it's quite possible, Chris, with a QLAC, another benefit to them will be massive amounts of income that if you don't need the distributions from your other IRA in the future, you very well may, and the point will be moot. But if you don't, the very big distributions from the QLAC could be used to reduce distributions from your other accounts. Just something unique on that. Okay. Chris loves QLAC, so I knew he was going to get that one right. Okay, a few more questions, and we wrap this bad boy up. Number seven, which of the following is false about the financial emergency exception to the 10% penalty? This is yet another new rule that took effect under Secure 2. It's a way to withdraw money for a financial emergency from your 401k without having to pay the 10% early withdrawal penalty if you're under 59 and a half. Okay, which one, Chris, is false? 
or not true, whichever way you want to word it. Number one, it is effective beginning 2024. The maximum amount of each financial emergency withdrawal is $1,000. Withdrawals are only available from IRAs, not company-sponsored plans. And number four, withdrawals are limited to one per calendar year. Which one of those true-sounding statements is false? Hmm. Can you read those again? So there's oh, one on. that's false, right? Okay. One of them is false. Yes. It is effective beginning 2024. The maximum amount of each withdrawal is $100,000. Oh, excuse me, $1,000. Withdrawals are only available from IRAs, not company-sponsored plans. And withdrawals are limited to one per calendar year. One of those very true-sounding statements is wrong. Which is the rotten tomato? One, two, the, three, or four? Oh, uh, three. The one that says only available in IRAs. It's the opposite. It is the opposite. Yeah. So ding, 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 ding. Chris is correct on that. That is the opposite. <clears throat> so these are one of those rules that I think will be abused. But it begins next year. And it's going to allow people for a self-certify. You don't have to tell your employer what the emergency is. You don't have to tell the IRS what the emergency is. Unless they ask you to tell you what the emergency is. But the emergency could be, my son tripped and fell and tripped a tooth. I need to get it fixed. How are they going to know if that really happened or not? You self-certify that there is a financial emergency. It doesn't have to be health-related. It could be anything. I, If you're in Colorado, hey, I need another bag of dope, and I had to go buy some. So I took the money out of my 401k. That could be a financial emergency if you had no money in this godforsaken state to go buy your bag of dope. Now you could. You don't have to prove or explain to the employer You're allowed to take $1,000 out. You have three years, or you have to wait three years before you can do another. So that's where they're going to get you. It's not $1,000 a year. And you can only do it once a year. So if you don't take the full $1,000 out, let's say you take out $300 in January, you can't go take another $700 out in June. It's a one-time financial emergency. You have to wait. Now, here's where I get a little confused. So I may be a little bit wrong on this. I, I've read it both ways. In three years, if you didn't pay it back, you can take another one. Or you can, you, I don't think it's the latter. I don't think it says you must pay it back. I think if it's outstanding, You cannot take another one until three years has passed. But if you paid it back, and you don't have to literally, folks, pay it back. If your ongoing voluntary contributions to your 401k, if you didn't stop those and they continue, as soon as that reaches a 1000 not with the employer match, from you, As soon as you put in another $1,000, that starts the clock anew. Now, again, you can only do one per calendar year, so you may repay that $1,000 in that calendar year, but you would still have to wait till the following calendar year. But if your contributions to the 401k or your contributions to your IRA don't equal $1,000... Not IRA. This doesn't apply to an IRA. Yeah, it does apply to IRA plans and IRAs. I thought that was the right answer. The right answer was withdrawals are only available from IRAs, not company plans. That's why it's wrong. It's available from both IRAs and company plans. Oh. See, see in my brain, I thought it was just for... For the company plans, not not the IRAs. No, well, you got it right, but you were wrong. I got it. Yeah, I got it right, but for the wrong reason. For the wrong reason. Hmm. So this is just an abuse waiting to happen, especially because it's self-certified. 
and it can come from an IRA. But you cannot do it every year until you repay that thousand or three years goes by. That's how I read it. Other people say, no, you must repay that $1,000 first. I don't think so. I think after three years, the clock starts anew, whether you paid the 1000 bucks back or not. And it doesn't have to be a literal line item, I paid it back. It can be your regular contributions can go against it. My point is, folks, who's tracking this? <laughs> Nobody. The IRS isn't tracking it. The custodian isn't tracking it. And you're not going to track it. This is just a big leak in retirement accounts to let people take a thousand bucks out. And sadly, there will be people who abuse it. I think it was good intentions that will be abused. Same thing with the $5,000 you're allowed to take out for domestic violence. And I'm not downplaying domestic violence. I'm an ex-cop. I can tell you, 90 plus percent of my calls were domestics. It was sad. But the way they wrote the rule, it can be, it doesn't have to be the cops were involved. There's a physical altercation. You got a restraining order. None of that. You just felt uncomfortable in a relationship. Nobody questions it. It's self-certified. No police report necessary. No, don't have to document who the person you were in the relationship with was. You don't have to document what they allegedly did to you. It's just, I was in a relationship. I felt threatened. I had anxiety. I'm not making this up, folks. It's written that liberal. And you can take $5,000 out. And that's not limited to once per year, once per every three years. Ed said... That's now 10000 by the way. Oh, is it 10000 yeah. I'm sorry. This rule is going to be abused. And it will be. Good intentions, not enough protections, will be abused. And so what? It's, uh, it's their money. If they want to abuse it, abuse it. I don't care. But don't get to retirement then and, and bitch and moan. I don't have no money saved for retirement. This is terrible. Well, if you kept taking your money out for bogus reasons, fake financial emergencies and fake domestic uh, issues, then you only have yourself to blame. I think Congress had their hearts on their sleeves, but their heads you know where. And they didn't make enough difficulty and proof yeah. in this. People already take money out of these accounts too easily without thinking about the long-term consequences. So adding easier, you know, making it even more easy to take it out or almost encouraging people to take it out for all kinds of things. I mean, when it comes right down to it, if somebody wants to take the money out because there's some dire need, they've always had access to it. You can take money out of this. I mean, the 401ks are, are more restrictive when you're working there. There's, there's, there. It's locked up a little more tightly. But your IRA, as you know... You could take out any time you wanted. There was a little slap on the wrist with the penalty, but that for somebody who really needed it, they did that. Um, I don't think it would have been wrong to require a little more something to, you know, I guess the slap on the wrist or at least, you know, mandatory education as to the ramifications of what you're about to do or, you know, who knows what. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, there's just too many people who undermine, they they. Forget that the choice today compounded over the next 30 years is going to make a big difference for them. So it is, it is tough, but it's, you know, obviously people need to take it out, take money out for emergencies. And, and if that's their only funds, then that's their only funds. That is, it is what it is, but uh, uh, they, don't, they don't necessarily need to make it even easier. If somebody really needed it, they would do it. Right. And here's just a little more info. I looked it up, so I forgot everything that he had taught us. Uh, it is $10,000 or 50% of the vested balance, if it's in a 401k, whatever, uh, is lower. The domestic issue has to have happened within the past 12 months. Again, self-certifying this. But here is how it is worded. Domestic abuse is defined as physical, 
psychological, sexual, emotional, economic abuse, including efforts to control, isolate, humiliate, intimidate, undermine the ability to reason independently, including acts upon the victim's child or another family member living in the household. That is very broad. It truly is. And that's the issue. They wrote it very broad, and people are going to abuse it. But my take is, if this can help a true domestic victim, great. But if someone was truly going through domestic abuse, a 10% withdrawal penalty, I don't think is enough to keep them in that relationship. Maybe it would. Gee, I'm going to stay in this relationship because I don't want to pay 10% penalty on top of the taxes. I'm going to stay in this as opposed to, wow, if I could only take out $10,000. Gosh, that's all I need and I could get the hell out of here, but I don't want to pay the 10% penalty, so I'm going to stay in. Maybe someone would think that way, but I would hope nobody would in that situation. But again, it's their money if they want to take it out and avoid the 10% penalty, so be it. If Congress really wanted to help domestic violence, they would say it's tax-free. Because you're going to lose a hell of a lot more to taxes than you will to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. So if they truly, truly wanted to help in domestic situations, they would have made it tax-free, at the very least. Then I would have given this a little bit more credence. But no, 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 you got to still pay your uncle. But the uncle's not going to take the extra 10. Anyways, I digress. Let's move on. Okay. I think you'll get this one. To be eligible to roll over $529 plan dollars to a Roth IRA, which of the following must be satisfied? Number one, the 529 plan must have been open for 15 or more years. Number two, The Roth IRA owner must have compensation. Number three, the Roth IRA must be in the name of the 529 beneficiary. And number four, all of the above. So this is which is not true or this is which is true? Which must be satisfied. Must be satisfied in order for the 529 to Roth conversion. Yep. Okay, read them again real quick. (laughs) The 529 plan Mm -hmm. must have been open for more than 15 years. Mm -hmm. The Roth IRA owner must have compensation. The Roth IRA must be in the name of the 529 beneficiary. Or all of the above. I'm sorry. forget to mention that one. I think it's all of the above. All of the above. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah. We won't get deep into that because we're, no. we're running long, but that, that one is correct. This one is even quicker. Mm. Starting in 2024, all 401k participants who want to make catch-up contributions will be required to make them into a Roth. Now, that has been pushed out. This, mm-hmm. this, this test was from April. So uh, we all know it's been delayed till uh, January of 2026. So uh, it should read now, starting in 2026, all 401k participants who want to make catch-up contributions will be required to make them to a Roth. True or false? True. False. Only people with $145,000 or more must put their catch-up contributions into a Roth. Employees with less than that can continue to choose Roth or non-Roth. I must not have paid attention to the original question. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was an income. Doesn't that stink when it's so easy and you blow it? You get the hard ones, though. You get the hard ones. Okay, let me look at this one because this is a long question. Uh, I think you'll get this one. A lot for me to read, folks, so bear with me. Abigail, or we would say Georgette, 
Abigail is age 30. She made a Roth contribution for 2022, but her income ended up being too high. On July 10th of this year, 2023, so remember, Abigail put money in her Roth in 2022, folks, and Chris. Now it's July of 2023. On July 10th, 2023, she decides to correct the excess contribution by removing it plus all net income attributable or NIA for short, I like that better, easier for me to pronounce, which of the following statements about Abigail's distribution is true? So three of these is false. One of them is true. None of the distribution will be taxable to Abigail. The entire distribution will be taxable to Abigail. Number three. Only the NIA or net income attribute a bull, but it is not subject to the 10% early withdrawal penalty, or only the NIA is taxable and it will be subject to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. So none is taxable or all is taxable. Only the NIA is taxable, but not subject to the 10%. Or only the NIA is taxable, but will be subject to the 10%. I believe it's only the NIA and not subject to the 10% penalty. That is correct. You can give yourself a ding. Well, I want to make sure. So which one are you mm-hmm. saying now? C, as in Charlie. So. Yes. Only the NIA is mm-hmm. taxable, but no 10% early withdrawal penalty on it, which is just one of those bizarre rules because you would expect the 10% early withdrawal penalty to apply. But in essence, we went over this many, many times on this show, folks. If you make an excess contribution to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, don't panic. You have until October 15th of the year following the year you made the excess contribution. She made it in 2022, according to Ed's hypothetical question. She had till October 15th of this year, 2023, to fix it. She fixed it in July, so that's good, but you have plenty of time. You have till October 15th of the following year. In the case of a Roth, think this through, folks. It makes sense. You don't deduct the money going into a Roth. And the money you put into a Roth can come out at any time, any reason, no taxes, no penalties. We've been over that ad nauseum on this show in the past. So her excess contribution can easily come out. Now, she would not get a hold of the custodian, just say, I'm going to take a $7,000 withdrawal or $6,000 or $5,000, whatever, whatever her excess amount was. I'm going to take that as a withdrawal. She has to let them know she's taking it as a corrective distribution. And they might even ask, well, what are you correcting? An excess contribution I was not allowed to make because they need to code that. You're not taking a distribution. You're making a corrective distribution. But because you are essentially taking out your money that you already paid taxes on, of course, you're not going to pay taxes on it again. But the law states, not only do you have to take out that money, you have to take out any growth minus any losses. That's why it's called net income, attributable attributable to what? The contribution you made. Did you see I nailed that word? Because it just flowed. I got it that time. When I don't think, boom, comes right out. So in this case, yes, you will pay taxes if the NIA is positive. That means the the net amount is positive. There's growth on those dollars. You will pay taxes on them, but they're going to waive the 10% penalty if you're under 59 and a half. I think that's nice that they do that, but it surprises me that they do it, but they do. So you don't have to pay the 10% penalty You just have to pay income taxes on the NIA. If there's no NIA or if it's a loss, because remember, it's plus any growth minus any losses. Let's just say she put in $7,000 and she wasn't allowed to put anything in. 
But if her portfolio dropped, it's quite possible she is only taking out six and a half or six or five and a half or four or one if she really bought something miserable in it that just nearly got wiped out. And that would fix the $7,000 excess contribution. They're not going to make her take $7,000 out. It's, they try to make you, there's a calculation in publication 590 that you have to follow. And it actually will determine what percent of the growth or loss of that 401k uh, IRA is attributable to the money that was put in. So you might end up in a steep loss, Chris, only removing a fraction of what you put in to satisfy the excess contribution. Mm -hmm. Okay, one question left. Are you ready? Do we, have a, do we still don't have a drum roll yet. You got to get a drum roll sound effect. Okay, last question. Do you feel lucky, punk? That's I'll you. I'll try. Okay. I'm going to give it my best shot. Let's see if you're going to get this one. You don't need to make a prediction. I think you'll get this one. I think everybody will get this one. Oh, we're good. Okay. Which of the following items was included in Secure Act 2? Or put another way, which of these following items was impacted by provisions in Secure Act 2? Limits on backdoor Roth transactions. Limits on income levels for Roth conversions. Investment restrictions on Roth IRAs or none of the above. Which of these technically three items was included in Secure Act 2? Limits on backdoor transactions. Limits on income levels for Roth conversions, investment restrictions for Roth IRAs, or none of the above? I think it's none of the above. Then you be correct. Excellent. None of the above, folks. None of that was in there. And what Ed was doing was pointing out everything the naysayers and the doomsayers were saying were going to happen. The government's going to limit backdoor Roth transactions. The government's going to impose income levels for doing conversions to Roth IRAs like there used to be. It used to be a $100,000 income level, and as a, even as a couple, single or couple, uh, and then you could not do a Roth conversion. Investment restrictions, I never heard anyone say that the government's going to restrict what you can invest in. So Ed probably threw that one in as a trick. But the answer is none. None of that happened in SECURE. Yep. And that's it there, dude. Nice. You, you did really good this year, we, week, uh, month, whatever the hell it is. We made it, yeah. Yes. Um, I'm not sure that's my best showing on the quiz, but it's, it's I, better than I thought because I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't done a deep independent research of Secure 2.0. It's just been things that have kind of come up naturally as questions uh, come up in my day-to-day -day life, I guess. So... Uh, I'm I'm pretty pleased, although there I feel bad about that one because that one I clearly blew and I, I just wasn't paying enough attention. I was distracted, <laughs> so my bad on the uh, that is forced fun. Roth contributions, uh, excess con or, or uh, um, make catch up contributions, catch up contributions yeah, with yep. the with the no income limit situation. So, um, yeah. So do you know what we're gonna do? Um, Next week or next week is the week you, yeah, I think it's kind of up in the air because it depends on if we're able to record or not. Yes, next week is my road you. trip begins for yeah. five weeks. Uh, I'm sure we will have something on the EDU. It might be uh, Chris only. Well, might no, be we'll have a show. Yeah, Chris, it's gonna yeah. if we can record something before Jim hits the road and is on the road during our normal recording day, it'll be the two of us doing something. If uh, we're not able to get that done before he leaves, then it will me be me doing something, which uh, uh, I think we've got a backlog of Social Security. So a lot of times we take these opportunities when Jim's on the road to get caught up on some Social Security questions. But uh, something will happen, and hopefully it'll be worthwhile for everyone. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say, uh, like I did the, a couple shows ago, that you promised for an exciting show. 
Hey, I lived so, up to it on that you, show. You did, you did, but that, you, you, you were mad because I put so much pressure on you. Yeah, but uh, like so, a true professional so I am, I stared yeah. that challenge in its face, and I think I made that show as exciting as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what I did, but something happened. All righty. Okay. Anyways, folks, yeah. it's been a pleasure. I hope you all enjoyed this little uh, quiz type thing, and we'll be back to doing uh, more in-depth EDU shows uh, in the future, but this was a good little divergence. Yeah. So one way or another, we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.